So I've been in uh, Regina, Saskatchewan this week, and I was in a, uh, a bar eating dinner one night while we were there, and uh, the gal serving us said, where are you guys from? Like, you can tell we're not from here, right? And she's like, yeah. Uh, she's like, when you, when you ask for ranch with your salad, nobody says ranch here. They say it with like a deeper A sound. And I was like, how do you say it? She's like, I say it like you do. I'm from Alberta. I say it ranch. I was like, so how does that sound? She's like, I can't do it. I don't know how to say it. But I can tell that you're not from here because of the way you say ranch when you ask for ranch. Uh, we, were, we were in Regina for an assessment uh, retreat for our church planters. Um, there were seven church planting candidates who were in this first ever assessment retreat uh, that Mission Alive has done in Canada. And what we're seeking to do is build a hub out of the work of the General Road Church of Christ, who we've taken a mission trip to serve before uh, in the past. Um, Kevin Vance is the leader there. They work with First Nations people in North Central Regina. And uh, it looks like there may come uh, one or two church plants out of this assessment retreat that we did. And so that's pretty cool. And you guys are a part of that. Um, Storyline participates in this broader Mission Alive uh, community. So I thought I'd give you that update because part of our vision as a community is to see new churches started. Both missional communities being replicated and also new churches being started um, in our city, uh, in the United States, and even up in Canada. So I thought that's, you, you guys would like to hear, that's one cool way that we're wrapped up in what God is doing in Saskatchewan and across the provinces of Canada. There's a woman named Brenda Salter McNeil. She is a an African American leader in uh, the evangelical church in America, and she describes going to Ferguson, Missouri, uh, in 2014, shortly after the events of August 2014, where uh, Michael Brown, an unarmed black teenager was shot and killed by a white officer. And um, what's sometimes called the Ferguson Uprising followed that occurrence uh, where there was lots of protesting and rioting because uh, this injustice occurred within the black community toward this unarmed black teenager. And really it's a, it's a symptom and, a, and an occurrence that's happened uh, too many times all across the nation that reveals some systemic brokenness. Uh, it reveals white supremacy and racism. So these, uh, Brenda Salter-McNeil went to Ferguson to meet with 30 or 40 evangelical church leaders to talk about what should the church's response be, how should the church posture itself to be a servant, uh, to be an advocate when something like Ferguson, and when something like what happened to Michael Brown happens in our country. And as they were there together in this round table, they got news in the midst of their meeting that at a different occasion, a young 
uh, African, another young black man who was strangled and killed by police officers while he gasped and yelled, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and they choked him out and killed him. Uh, they found out in the midst of this meeting that the officer who was responsible for doing that was not indicted and was released without any charges. And you can imagine that because of the, the, the reason that led them there to this very meeting for Ferguson, that that shook them uh, so much. It shook this group of, of, of uh, predominantly African-American and Latino uh, uh, leaders of color. It shook them in this, this roundtable meeting. So much so that one man in particular was weeping so loud he had to leave the room. And an elder stateswoman who was a part of this group, called on the group and said, we need to sing a song of lament. And a, a younger African-American woman got up, a worship leader, music leader, got up and started singing a song. Um, something like, um, let's take back what the devil had stolen, and let's place him under our feet. And it was a kind of a happy-clappy kind of song. Brenda describes being near the back of the room, holding hands in silence with one of her black colleagues from another seminary. And as they're singing this happy, clappy, defeat the devil and place him under our feet song, her black colleague leans over and whispers in her ear, does this make sense to you? What does this have to do with lament? I feel very uncomfortable right here. And, and Brenda remarks, uh, how it was instructive and saddening to her that even with the great heritage uh, and legacy of lament in the African American church with songs like Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen and there's a song in their, uh, in their uh, history called Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child that's a worship song that the African American church sings in lament and yet, and yet somehow that had been lost in this meeting. That when it was time for lament, that instead of lament, there was, there was happy clappy praise. And we're going to beat the devil and put him where he belongs. Rather than lament. She lamented the fact that it seemed like lament had been forgotten. And so, uh, we're starting a new conversation series as we come into Advent and into Christmas about lament. And it's out of Lamentations. It's based on and connected to a book written by uh, Dr. Sung Chan Ra called Prophetic Lament. Uh, and this, this will be a companion resource for us as we talk and, and speak through Lamentations. Um, why Lamentations in Advent? Aren't we supposed to be getting ready for Jesus? And isn't that happy, clappy, and good news of the Incarnation, right? Um, Advent is about waiting. Advent is about yearning and longing, and so is lament. Advent is about what's not yet, and so is lament. Um, we need the resources of lament as we look at the brokenness in our world. You, you hear us tapping into lament this morning in Val's prayer, in our call to worship, as we say things like, we give thanks, but we also cry out, right? We need resources more than happy, clappy praise songs sometimes.
to connect to God when we see the brokenness in our world. And so we're going to do a new series on lament because lament is needed now, especially uh, because there's waiting, uh, there's longing, there's yearning in both lamentations and in Advent. Lament is weird. Lament is weird for, maybe you haven't heard of lament before. Like if that's even a theme. Why is it weird? Uh, Dr. Rahm, in his book, defines lament as an act of protest. Who thought that you could protest God and that be worship? Yeah? Lament is an act of protest as a lamenter is allowed to express indignation and even outrage about the experience of suffering. You heard Val ex- uh, express anger and frustration in her prayer. That's lament. The lamenter talks back to God and ultimately petitions God for help in the midst of pain. That's weird. We, uh, it sounds kind of strange to say that we would come together, let us come and worship and express our outrage to God. Have you ever heard that call to worship? No? I haven't either. Um, part of the reason it's weird is because you know, I, I don't see any people of color in here. Uh, maybe there's... Maybe we've got a couple. This is a predominantly white group, right? Um, in the United States, uh, especially among uh, dominant culture, among whiteness, um, there is this spirit of triumphalism. Yeah? We'll win the day, make America great, you know, we're first, we're best, we're exceptional. And the truth is, it's easy to sing those songs and have that attitude, because as white folks, we win a lot. Yeah? We get our way. The tax cuts favor us. Yeah? The housing markets going up favor us. We win a lot. And so it's really easy for us to come and worship God and say, Yeah, you're the Savior, God. You're the best. And, and so the way that makes its way into our churches is through a theology of celebration. We celebrate. Because God is about the resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead, Right? Yeah, well, it's easier for us to lean on a theology of celebration because of our whiteness, because of our privilege. Um, and sometimes it's hard. It's been hard. It was hard for me to see that for a long time. Should we celebrate? Yes, we should celebrate. Do, uh, do, uh, do folks that aren't in affluence, do they celebrate and praise God? Yes, of course they do. But we celebrate to the neglect of lament. Uh, uh, this theology of celebrate, uh, celebration is very common among the haves, right? Who seek constancy and sustainability, not deliverance. Because there's not a whole lot for us to be delivered from. However, it's the have-nots who developed a theology of suffering. How do we make sense of God when nothing is going right, when there's chaos when there is active oppression and evil that's at play, and it seems uncontrollable, it seems unwieldy, it seems too big for anyone to do anything about. How do you relate to God in the midst of that? Can you have a, a theology of celebration in the midst of that? It's very difficult. You don't just need to see a theology of celebration, you need a theology of suffering in the midst of that. What do we do? How do we connect to God and speak about God when there's suffering and evil and pain right in the midst of all of this? I want to tell you something. This is what I observe. I see it in our very community. 
I think part of the reason that a lot of us have trouble in deconstruction because we, is because we were raised in churches that had a theology of celebration but did not have a theology of suffering. And so, as we come in tune with injustice and evil in the world, it's so disorienting to us. And we're not sure what how, what do we do with that. You can imagine when you're raised with triumphalism and exceptionalism and celebration, and that and yet we start to see uh, white supremacy and racism and and neglect for folks in poverty and gun violence and all of these things. We're not sure what to do with it because we don't have theological resources to navigate that in our spirituality. We need something other than just a theology of celebration. And it's interesting too. It, it makes sense why there's a marginal place for it in our liturgies and our songbooks. Uh, most of the psalms that are omitted from the Book of Common Prayer in the Episcopalian tradition, probably in our own revised common lectionary that we get from the Daniel Belt website, most of the psalms that are omitted are the psalms of lament. It's because white people with triumphalistic theologies of celebration are the ones that are curating those lectionaries. Uh, Let's, let's get a little closer to home. For those of you who grew up in Church of Christ or Baptist churches, Glenn Pemberton did this study where he examined the songbooks, the things that we sing about when we're together. Check this. If you're Presbyterian, only 19% of the songs in your songbook have anything to do with lament. If you're Church of Christ or Baptist, only 13% of the songs in our songbook have anything to do with lament. And that's songs that are in there. That's not songs that we sing. Yeah? Okay, what about songs that we actually sing? See, do y'all know what CCLI is? It's the licensing thing, and we pay them to be able to kind of put lyrics up on the board that, you know, are, uh, it's part of the, the contemporary Christian industrial complex. Yeah? So we license to be able to sing the songs. Uh, an upside of that, that's another day. Different prophetic. <laughs> uh, an upside of that is that we're able to track the songs the church is singing. So 2012 is the data that Raw points on in his book, Prophetic Lament. In 2012, the top 100 songs sung that year, five of them, five of them of the 100 were lament. That's 5%. So 95% of the time, the songs that are being tracked and sung, they're celebration kinds of praise songs. And yet, we live in a world. Do we live in a world where 95% of the time everything is rosy and perfectly wonderful? There's a disconnect there. Are y'all smelling what I'm stepping in here? Yeah. What's your experience with Lynette? That's that's an open question for discussion. What's your experience? I started learning how to lament. As an adult, probably around my 30s. Hmm. How long have you been a Christian? All my life. Yeah. Yeah, so it's something that you you have come into. And and do you mind me asking what what catalyzed that? Um, the, uh, The church that we were at in Portland. Um... Uh, we started having lament services. So 
sometimes we were in the midst of catastrophe, and so the service that was planned would get scrapped, and uh, and we would intentionally have a time to the morning. Mm. Cool. That's, uh, that's great to hear that that was a thing. Julie? I feel like when I was wearing a it was like really awkward or someone, you know, like before and they upset about something and it was like, how can you wrap this up? Mm-hmm. It's like they're pretty battle by the end. Yep. And like pray a prayer and then like they kinda like smile and had that front next to down like, Well we fixed that or well we um, maybe that's not the right word, but just sort of a sense of like this is awkward to do in front of other people and like you don't want to leave with this like down, you know, Debbie Downer sense of like like how can we ever, or, and I have like a sense of like, I don't want to be ungrateful. Like I don't want to seem like I'm not thankful to God for all the, you know, you know the things he's done that we're celebrating, but like, uh, so like, I'm so uncomfortable with that dynamic. Yeah. How can I tie it up with a pretty bow and like, praise God, you know. Yep. You know, I wonder if part of that is, I'll get to you. I wonder if part of that is a uh, sense that to express that to God feels like a lack of faith. Right. It feels like mistrust or distrust of God, and so um, that doesn't—that that's not the kind of space we're trying to cultivate here. So it works against that, maybe. And yet, in the Psalms, most of the Psalms of lament end with some note of trust, like, "Okay, it's hard, God. I don't get it. I'm trusting you." But not all the Psalms. I want to say it's Psalm 89 that is this deep, dark, painful lament. And it ends with the words, darkness is my closest friend. This is the worship book of Israel. And there are singing songs that end with lines like, darkness is my closest friend. Lamentations, we'll see in chapter 5 on the 23rd, ends on a minor note. It doesn't end with, but it's okay! It ends with, are we going to be lost forever? Is this going to work out? We don't know. We can't see it right now. Yeah. Over here. Katie? Um, my experience with men is when I stopped feeling like there was a place for me in the church. Yeah. Or can you say something about that for those who might not know your story? Um, so I, uh, five years ago, I started having uh, very small touches. I had a miscarriage in two silver. And you know, it was over the course of five years, and they're really, especially in the corporate church, but even in churches like this, like, there really isn't a place, or felt like there was a place, for someone who didn't have any children. Um, like, everybody had children, and it was just, I just didn't feel like that there was a place for me in the church, because growing up, I mean, that's yeah. Yeah, not not only did you have this disjoint, this disconnect with feeling lament about your situation, but like you you physically in your physical life and existence, embodied some otherness. You were you bore the marks of one who suffered by your lack of children, 
and wondering how do I fit in systems that that don't often have a place for people who don't. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Katie. Uh, Lauren, and then Val. I think I I, don't, I haven't ever had an issue with being angry with God. Probably doesn't mean that. I I think I've been pretty uh, comfortable with shaking my fist at God, but I think it um, immediately is followed up with guilt. Mm. Because who am I to lament? You know, who am I? I, I've had a lovely life. I mm. mean, nothing major has ever happened to me, and I've never experienced great loss, sorrow. You know, mm. and so I think I don't have the I don't have a problem with lamenting, but I feel like I need to wrap it up because, and I need to get it over with, and I need to move on because it is immediately followed by guilt. Mm. Because I don't feel like I have the right yeah. to be sorrowful. Right on. I, I is that like the right to be? Is that being a privileged white lady kind of right yeah, to be? I think, I is, is that what kind of what you're saying? That yeah. A couple of years ago, yeah. but, um, but just relative to other people, I've suffered less than them. Right. Like I. What do I have to complain yeah, about? Like this should be a very, this should be a short and quick uh, period uh-huh. of mourning until you know being angry with God, and then I probably should like pull myself out of it yeah. because. Really, what am I lamenting? I don't really have the right to be in this posture because I have, you know, yeah. I'm surrounded by goodness. Yeah, so part of it, thank you, Lauren. Part of what we're going to do in this series, and I think there is some tension, uh, just even being white folks, like, uh, uh, how do we practice lament together? And yes, there, number one, we need lament personally for us. Because we do experience suffering, and maybe it's not the same as somebody else's suffering. But God loves us. Uh, he love, He cares for us, and He wants to hear us um, express ourselves honestly. I think where lament starts to get prophetic for us, in the sense that it is a witness to the world, it's a way that we deal with suffering and evil corporately, is when we lament as a community on behalf of, right? So it doesn't have to necessarily be our own suffering. We can lament on behalf of those in Ferguson. Um, and I think that means something to our, our, uh, our colleagues and our brothers and sisters in Christ who are also of color. It, it says to them, we see what's happening. And we petition the Lord for what's happening. And God willing, over time, we'll have folks of color in our community with whom we can literally be side by side, lamenting together on behalf of them. It's a way that we pour ourselves out um, and cry out to God. But I think God would also say, your suffering is worth the like, And I try to say that as my first one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that it's okay for us to lament personally. Sorry, Joe. I didn't mean to get you on that. Yeah. We're married, so you can talk to me about that later, I guess. Val, <laughs> <laughs> you had a comment? I think the first time I ever really experienced it was uh, after I started having panic attacks and when I, I started struggling with depression. If I feel like 
the first time I feel like I had suffered in my life, I guess. And it was very jarring to me because I I didn't really have a framework of, like, what am I supposed to do with it? Like, and also, like, I felt like God wasn't fixing it or helping me, and I felt like he didn't care. And so it was been very frustrating for me to be like, I'm angry with you. Why did you let this happen? But also, I don't know what to do with that. And mm. then I, I have this thought that most of the population is highly uncomfortable with their own feelings and probably not even aware of them. And I think when we hear somebody else expressing a deep emotion, whether it's anger or sorrow, it makes us very uncomfortable because we don't want to have to deal with that and we don't want to have to acknowledge ours either. Like, we just rather pretend it doesn't exist. Yep. And so when we see that in, you know, in a very, in like a, a public way, in a very raw way, the reason I think we want to like wrap it up and have the like pretty, but like God's going to take care of me, everything is okay, is because then that we can relieve ourselves of the discomfort that comes with hard feeling. Mm. And I think that I think that is unfortunate that we do that because I think there is something very powerful about acknowledging somebody's anger and pain and suffering and not trying to say it's going to get better because guess what? It may not. Right. <laughs> like, a, you know, a theology of suffering helps us to cope yes. and find God even if it doesn't get better. Yes. But we've lacked that. Uh, a lot of us have. Okay. I, I want to move on. Uh, uh, I know, right? Like, but I mean, we got three more people who want to talk. Should I should I sit with this and let us talk more? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The people who want to talk, like, yes, you should. Please. Okay. Ben was first, and then Miles, and then Sarah, and then maybe I would like to move on. Uh, and, and I think it's not just an uncomfortability or potentially feel about our own feelings, but I think also in church feel this need to protect God. Mm. Like right, so somebody's angry, and we're like, Ooh, you can't, you can't be angry at God as if God's not big enough to handle yeah. that anger. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's for the same reason Tommy's talking about saying, like, we we have to protect God from who might sh- show up at God's table. Yeah, uh, uh, part of the larger issue is this sense that God can't handle, uh, or there's something wrong, and lament is actually a response to deep trust and faith. Yeah, because we believe God yeah. actually cares. Because we believe God wants to do something, yeah. we can say, like, hey, what the hell? Like, right, why, why are you not doing anything yeah. out here? Which is a place of deep trust, not yes. the opposite. <laughs> That's right. That's where we're going. That's right. Sorry, I said no. Hmm? Sorry, I said no. No, that's allowed. That's allowed. Okay. Didn't know what God Miles. Uh, so I, I just want to share a, a brief thought as a, as a worship leader here at Storyline. Uh, there is a tension in picking songs of lament. And, and we have ours, we catalog the songs that we do with Storyline, and we break it down by, by different um, themes or sections. Our lament column is pretty short. Yep. And we looked. Yep. Right. <laughs> well, now, with all the CCLI stuff, I mean, it's because there's a shortage. Yeah. Yeah. At least... At least in the mainstream tradition. Right. Yeah. And so even, you know, 
this week, uh, I was kind of picking a couple of songs that, you know, serendipitously lean more towards the myth, the cool spirit thing, and Valley asked me, she's like, you know, are you sure, like, my help, my God, and then at least, like, is this too much lament? Do you want to run this by, you know, Paul, who's, who's coordinating first, you know, and, and see? And we have this discomfort because, I'll tell you, it's a lot more comfortable to sing, a lot more engaging with the audience to sing all your promises are yes and amen. Right. Than it is to sing darkness is my closest friend. Right. Yes, uh, it is. And that is, that's uncomfortable to leave. Uh, it's uncomfortable to experience. I think it's uncomfortable in the audience. And so I think that tension is something I, I loved. And I want to hear what Sarah has to say. I loved a few months ago, Sarah, when you said, we're singing some songs of lament today because that's where I am. So, so let me, let me say that first. Let me say this to you. Let, let me then say this to this little cluster of music leaders over here. Um, it, it may be uncomfortable for you, but for someone who's with us, who's in deep suffering, that lament is a lifeline. It's not uncomfortable for them. It is the grace of God to their soul. Because they don't know how, any other way to talk to God in that moment. They may not be able to talk to God even and express that lament. But that lament that other people are wrapped up in gives voice to the deep anguish they are experiencing. So plow through that discomfort because it's not uncomfortable for everybody. Um, and you serve us yeah, when, when we're able to express that together. Sarah? To be honest about what's going on with us, yeah, that's good. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, so, lamentations, the uh, the background of what what I'm going to do to wrap up. I'm supposed to be done by right now. Um, so, but I'm not because because uh, we need to frame this up. Um, the background of lamentations is the death of Jerusalem. Uh, and that was a historical reality for the people of God, the people of Israel. Um, Lamentations responds to, to the destruction of Jerusalem 
and the temple in 586 BC. Uh, it was laid waste by the Babylonians who had come into power previous to that. The big picture context is that Israel, uh, you know, called to constitute the people of God out of the exodus in Egypt and Moses. We know that Charlton Heston, he was part of the story. Actually, Charlton Heston, right? Yeah. Uh, they go to Canaan, Palestine, and through with the help of Joshua and others, establish themselves there. And then David comes along and becomes king. David's son Solomon and Israel rises to prominence. They, they experience an affluence themselves, even though they're in this tiny little country. Uh, both of those kings were very wealthy, and that's bragged about in the Chronicles of the Kings, in the, in the, um, the history uh, books of the Old Testament. So Israel really flourishes, and after Solomon's death, the kingdom splits. Uh, over power struggles, it splits into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Northern, is, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. And both kingdoms were eventually exiled. They were conquered. They were overcome by foreign entities. Uh, the north kingdom, Israel in the north first, and then the south kingdom. Jerusalem was the final holdout. It was the final remnant and, and residual presence of the people of God in this part of the, the part of the world. And that is what Babylon stomps out. I mean, it's, it's the death knell. It is the final blow to completely wipe out this people, basically. And the Babylonians were ruthless. They had a scorched earth policy. They would burn the fields, and then they would salt the fields so that they were uninhabitable. You could not subsist on the land because it was ruined. It would not produce crops. They filled the wells. You couldn't get water. They destroyed the land. They destroyed the economy. And they killed or extracted the most important people. The politicians, the religious leaders, the intellectual elites. They took all of them and they took them to Babylon so that they could milk them for whatever cultural artifacts or resources that they had. And they left all the poor behind. All the people who couldn't get revenge the, the women and the children and folks in poverty, they got to let, get left behind to survive this, this garbage dump on fire that was Jerusalem. That's what they're experiencing. That's what Lamentations is written about. That's where lament comes from. Because God, you're the God of the universe, you're the creator, and we're your people, and yet this is happening. And it's revealed through the prophets, and it's not a surprise, even before they're exiled, that, that Israel has problems with infidelity um, to God. They're wrapped up in idolatry, they don't, they're, they're wrapped up in injustice, and they, they experience the consequence from an external source of the kinds of things they're doing to each other. They're trampling the poor, and so God allows the mighty to trample them as the poor. Uh, and so the narrative in Scripture is they're, they're suffering for their unfaithfulness to their covenant and their infidelity to God. You know, imagine, I'm trying to imagine what's comparable. Maybe it's like a, a, a man in the high castle kind of situation, right? Where imagine if ISIS takes over Washington and deports all the politicians. Some of you are like, that sounds great. Um, deports all the politicians, all of the wealthy, all of the culturally elite 
from New York, and they, they take over and they ransack the East Coast, and before you know it, the United States is under foreign occupation. That's like most Americans' absolute worst nightmare ever come true. That's what happened to Israel. That's what happened. That's what Lamentations is about. So uh, Jeremiah writes a letter. You saw Jeremiah 29, the popular, the popular text that's co-opted by theologies of celebration to say God is going to win, right? That is actually in the midst of all this. He writes a letter. So Lamentations is to the people that are still in Jerusalem. Jeremiah 29 is to the, to the exiles, the affluent, the privileged who go to Babylon. Uh, and he addresses two temptations they have. The first temptation they have is to withdraw. Right? Uh, you're in a new land. You're in a new culture. You're in a new place. Let's hunker down. Let's huddle up. And let's try to, to perpetuate whatever little ounce of culture and religion and history that we have to kind of hang on. And you notice what, what Jeremiah says into the midst of that? He says, build houses. Intermarry. That was pretty radical for him to say. Uh, he, says he says, seek the peace and prosperity of the town. Increase in number. Don't decrease. Uh, because if it prospers, you'll prosper. So he doesn't tell them to withdraw. He tells them to engage and to seek shalom. He's telling this to a group of privileged folks who are experiencing suffering. Uh, Dr. Ra talks about a contemporary example of this when uh, the church in the United States in the early 20th century, fundamentalist Christians tried to withdraw from the rest of society. And uh, it didn't, especially after World War I, and all, you know, everything is making progress, making progress, and then we have these world wars, and everything goes bad, where the church seeks to withdraw. Sometimes that's a temptation, especially for those of us who have the affluence and the luxury of that, even as an option. So the second temptation was idolatry. It was quick fixes. It was getting prophets who would tell them, it's going to be okay, let's praise God, because we're going to get to go back to Jerusalem any time now. You know, let, let, let's, uh, let's find somebody who will tell us what we want to hear. And so you see Jeremiah saying to that in Jeremiah 29. Um, Don't let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you, Chloe, so eloquently read and emphatically. What that about her? Don't listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. Ra talks about how the, the, the white church in the United States in the last 50 years has fled with the rest of society from city centers. Um, and the narrative we wove them to do that, to justify leaving behind people of color and people in poverty is... We need to go to the suburbs because that's where everybody's going. And we need to grow the church. Because, you know, and when we grow the church, we win. We triumph. We can participate in that Christian exceptionalism. Because God is the God of resurrection. That's how we can be resurrected. All the while ignoring the the folks in poverty, the folks at the margins. Actually, we're, we're fleeing from them. And not coincidentally. There are a whole lot of people in these first spring suburbs as the church flees in the middle of the 20th century. The church flees away from the people at the margins and doesn't go toward them. 
as an example of idolatry, perhaps. The idolatry of the quick fix. Oh, our churches are in decline. The neighborhoods around our churches are decaying. Let's go to the suburbs where we can grow quick. We can build some big buildings and feel good about our institutions. That's uncomfortable. I've been a part of those churches. And then Jeremiah gives a third option. Option one, withdraw. Option two, idolatry, quick fixes, magic. Option three, lament. Approach God with this. Be honest about your suffering. And that, that is what Lamentations is. Jeremiah is the editor of this five-chapter lament. And he's bringing these voices together from survivors in this unified corporate lament. There's five related but self-contained accounts. And in this lament, it's honest. And this lament also challenges the status quo. Walter Brueggemann says that's what we miss. When we don't lament, the, the status quo stays status quo. When we lament, we challenge the way things are by the virtue of naming and speaking that the way things are is not okay. It's not what God wants them to be. And as Ben said, lament is an expression of hope and faith in God in the midst of suffering and death. It's interesting to me. And this is the, the Hebrew geek out kind of part of me. This is lost on any English reader of Lamentations. Lamentations is an acrostic. Okay, this is what this means. Imagine if somebody wrote a letter, and it had five chapters, and each, each chapter had 26 verses. And the first verse started with A, and the second verse started with B, and the third verse C, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way down the line. That is how Lamentations is written. Except it's in, it's in the Hebrew alphabet, so there's 22 characters. And so you'll notice each chapter of Lamentations, with the exception of chapter 3, has 22 verses. Chapter 3 has 66 because they repeat it three times over in that chapter. So it's, you're going through the alphabet. Now, scholars, scholars kind of puzzle. Why do they do this in Lamentations? And, and Rob surmises, and I, I like where he's going, is that what, what the acrostic does for Lamentations is that it, it says uh, that in the midst of suffering and death and pain, there is some small semblance of order. And the way that there is some small semblance of order is because there is a God. And that God is the creator of the universe. And that God is the God of Israel. And that God fashions chaos into order. That God, just like he did in the origin story, takes chaos and, and orders it. And so even the acrostic, even the, the literary structure of Lamentations is a, a hopeful expression of faith that God will order the chaos. And, and as Ben said, uh, this is true about lament. Lament is not a lack of faith. Lament is an expression of faith. The baseline assumption of lament is that God could actually do something with what we tell Him. Yeah? That, that God is 
sovereign. In this book, Dr. Ross says, God is in control. I don't know what it says about me. I'm a, I don't like that language. I don't like saying God is in control. Because control has a negative connotation. It's pejorative to me. What, when would it ever be a compliment to say somebody was controlling? Yeah? Like, that's not a good thing, right? That's not a controlling person. Oh, they're, they're a controller. Oh, wow, that's so nice of you to say. Wow. No, that's not a compliment. So, so I, I would rather, but that's not to say that God is not sovereign. To say God is sovereign is to say that God is king. God is over. God is powerful. And there may be some things that God in his power, uh, in God's power, has decided not to control. Because God's not a controller. God is not a coercer, as Tommy said. God is love. God is a wooer. Yeah? And so even in the midst of that, lament says, God, you are sovereign. We trust in you. We long for you to do something about this. Because if anything is going to happen to fix it, it's going to be because you have something to do with it. That is the heart of lament. That's the heart. That's the end of that outrage and anger and frustration. It's, it's enlisting God. It's calling for God to arise. It's expressing trust that God will in fact arise and do something about it. And this is my belief. I think it's the belief of our brothers and sisters in Christ in communities of color is that that is in fact true of God. God is mighty. God is powerful. And that we can trust God even when uh, this world is a crap storm. And when this world is a crap storm, we've got to cry out to God about that. Because where else do we have to go? Who else do we have to talk? I mean, uh, otherwise it's depression. Uh, or, or it's a split personality so that we can repress all of the terrible inconsistencies about the world in which we live. How else do we have a healthy outlet unless we beckon God to intervene? And to meet us in the midst of that pain and suffering. And, and that's exactly what God does in Christ. He meets us. God meets us in the pain and the suffering in Christ. I hope there's some good news for us in that.